Less Doing, episode 84. Ari talks with Nick Gray, founder of Museum Hacks, about a $45 million painting, productivity software Ari never heard of, and a new way to enjoy museums. Hey everybody, thanks for listening in this week. So today I got to interview Nick Gray of Museum Hack, and uh, it's just a really, really cool company that is, just, they're, they're, they're changing the way that, that, that tours are done at museums, and it's just really cool stuff. So really enjoyed talking to him. And he's also really bootstrapped his company, so he had some cool stuff to say about that. Oh, cool. I'm really looking forward to hearing what this guy has to say, actually. Yeah. So, um, all right. Well, so there's a, there's a bunch of links this week and I want to get through them. So there's a few that are in the show notes that Nick mentioned that, uh, he sort of explained better than me, but, uh, there's this really cool site that just came out called legal sifter. And there's been a couple like this before that I'm always kind of a little wary of, but this one actually seems pretty legitimate. And I showed it to my uncle who's a lawyer and he actually thought it was really cool. So it's a, you basically put in a contract to this, it's a, a artificial learning tool online and it will scan the contract and basically give you sort of points that it thinks are areas where you should look at or maybe change, which is pretty amazing that it can do that in a legal setting. So if you have like a contract or you're, you just don't want to necessarily go through the expense or the trouble of dealing with a lawyer, this can at least give you some sort of big like items that are, that are standing out that are, that are issues. So the way that it works is that they, they go through it. Some lawyers online go through it for you. Is that right? No, 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 no. It's actually computer. It's completely computer. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, and it'll point out things where it's like, uh, you know, clauses aren't making sense or something might be overly protective or something. And I'm really not sure how it's doing it, but uh, it, as I said, it, it seems to be pretty legit. Wow. Yeah. So uh, I, it's certainly worth trying out. If it, And a lot of these things I've been finding, like, like Shake is one that we talked about last week, I think. A lot of these seem to be really aimed at freelancers or designers or people who aren't necessarily either can't afford a lawyer right now or just don't have a lot of legalese experience. Mm. And so this, this will get, you know, obviously this is not going to replace a lawyer, but it's going to give you a really good sort of, you know, if, if there's something that's really wrong in the contract, it'll, it'll give you that, that uh, alert basically. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. And it just takes a few seconds. That is cool. Yeah. Um, so, uh, another thing actually, before I forget this, cause I didn't mention this in the notes is that we, I've launched a brand new less doing website. So it's been completely redone. You have? Oh yeah. Oh, you <laughs> um, didn't tell me. <laughs> well, I, you know, I put it on Facebook cause it was like, uh, uh well, there, there's still some bugs. Like oh, this looks great. You like that? Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Cause that's got a slow-mo video in the background. Oh, I like it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, so Congrats. we've completely redesigned it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Sam and the team really d- did a great job on this. I had nothing to do with it, so um, I was I was actually surprised myself to see it about two days ago for the first time, and I'm really happy with it. So, uh, but but there are there were some bugs that we had to work out. I think we've worked out a lot of them. But if you guys you know want to go check out the site and uh, don't worry about giving feedback because I'd love to hear it. So if there's something that you see on the website that's broken, please uh, let me know. Um, so there's a, another site I want to talk about called M Taylor. And this is a, basically a digital tailor service. So what's really cool about this is that you use, this is for men's shirts basically right now. So you use your iPhone or your iPad and using the camera, 
it will measure you. <laughs> yeah. And then you get a custom made shirt. It does look very cool, this. Yeah. I'll yeah. Be really so, interested to try this. I think I, I'm in need of some white shirts. And I think I might try this with, because um, I'm, I'm like kind of small and shirts are normally big on me. And, well, there's nothing like a tailored fitted shirt, is there? No, and that's absolutely true. Because I, so I've actually, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but there's a website called Indochino, which I love, which makes custom made suits and, and, uh, men's shirts and pants and stuff. And, and I've owned shirts in them before. And with that one, you measured yourself. You actually had to measure your bicep and your waist and all this stuff. And this is a much better improvement on that as far as I'm concerned, but it's true. A custom fit shirt just makes you look better. It's, and it's more comfortable and it's just, it's just right. And, and I, I, my body's changed as I, I've had kids now, not because I've had the kids, but because I haven't worked out as much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, I haven't got my body back since the kids. Um, but no, it's true. You know, I was, I was definitely a little bit bigger, much more muscular before. Now I feel like I'm a little leaner and, and shirts just fit differently. So I think this is something really worthwhile and it starts at $69. So it's, it's pretty affordable for a custom shirt. Yeah. I'm really curious about it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I think that was really cool. The, uh, the next one, there's, uh, a service that this is a weird one. And I actually, I want to hear your thoughts on this, but shop and box. Yes, you look at yes, this? this is funny. You know what? Yeah, yeah I, I looked at, um, uh, I checked it out. See, this is funny, is that Claire, my wife, was looking for something, I mean, if I'm understanding the, the site correctly, she was looking for a, a bunch of things that are only available in Europe, and uh, I think, and then, like, by the time you factor in, like, international shipping, and you want to order, like, a number of different things from different places, and they're all in Europe, because they're only available in Europe, the shipping cost just makes it cost prohibitive, but it seems like this might be a way around that. Is that right? Or have I completely got the wrong end of the stick? No, no, you've come, that's exactly what it is. And especially that, well, I want to get your feedback on it for two reasons, but one of which is, you know, as you, obviously you are British and there's products that you can only get from England or, you know, if you get them in America, they're ridiculously expensive. So, uh, this does seem like a really cool thing. And yeah, basically as Felix explained this, this is a service where people in other countries can basically buy products for you and then, uh, ship them to you. And it, it does seem like it's going to be a lot, it's going to be a lot cheaper. My only thing that I thought about this is, is like a security thing, okay. you know, because there's no regulation on this per se. And you can basically be selling, telling someone, you know, like send me this thing. Um, and then what if they don't send you what, yeah. And I'm not talking about something like dangerous, but I mean like, what if they don't send you what you actually wanted? Well, uh, I or guess, I guess, I guess, I mean, eBay is like that essentially. That's and, and true. Obviously, they've got a lot of protections, a lot more protections since they first got started. But, um, but essentially, it's a lot of the, how these services work. It's just one person's, you know, goodwill against yours, and they, um, you know, they probably have their user feedback rating and everything to to uphold, and um, and it's probably worth a try. But I mean, it would be it'd be great if you know. You know, we have to ask our family to come and bring stuff over each time. And, um, you know, it'd be great if they can go out, if you can be in touch with someone, say, in France and say, I want you to go out and buy this from, you know, a, a French, you know, department store that's not even available online. or And they can just go out and go to a load of different places, buy a whole load of products, put them in one box and pay one shipping price. That's, you know, that's that's a lot cheaper than should be a lot cheaper than ordering from, you know, 10 different places on online, you know, and paying foreign shipping on all of those 10 items. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I think it's I think it's really cool. I think it's uh it's one more example of sort of making the world smaller. You yeah. Know? yeah, I mean, I, I even said, hey, how about we, you know, we there should be a site that does this. And what do you know? You come up with this this week, so it's awesome. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So the next one is a, is a Kickstarter campaign as, you know, obviously, as I said, I'd love to like mention a different Kickstarter campaign every week. This one is cool. It's uh it's called mountain home farm and it's basically, they're looking for $10,000 on Kickstarter. They've gotten about half of that and it's basically support for an all grass dairy farm. And as we've, as we should, you know, listeners should know at this point, grass fed dairy is better for you. Um, so you back this project and you can get, pounds and pounds of grass-fed butter from this farm in vermont um so i just thought this was nice and it's great yeah it's a nice it's a family farm not much money that they need really no no it's not so they're looking for ten thousand dollars and it's you know it apparently that goes quite a long way for this so uh, you get to really see how it's made how it's you know how it's uh, the the family history that goes into this and you know right now pretty much the i i think the best grass-fed butter you can get is Kerrygold, which is irish which is fine uh but this is great that you can get a, a much more uh, local alternative but you need to pledge a hundred dollars or more to get half a pound of butter. yeah that's the thing is it's actually it's pretty expensive that's the thing is so i like it's i think for a thousand dollars you get three pounds of butter or something which is that's definitely a lot of butter but it's not a thousand dollars worth necessarily so i don't know if they're planning on having some sort of other tie-in but um it it you know it just depends if, if, yeah. if you just want to support them you can do i think as little as 25 dollars yeah, and right right I, I, hopefully they'll get to scale yeah and right be able to offer it better yeah exactly so cool yeah um okay so the next one this is a really basic one but i love this uh so Co-working spaces, I think, is really the way of the future, and, and I love working in co-working spaces. I think it's like a nice energy that you get, and it's cool to sort of use different environments when you really need it. So letsmake.com is a directory for, it's like co-working, except it's for people who need a workshop or a kitchen. Yeah, it's very cool, this kind of thing. And I just I was actually just listening to a podcast about someone who came up with some revolutionary um video camera it's a very small video camera and he engineered the whole thing in one of these shared workshop spaces um in san francisco awesome yeah, yeah. and i think i mean so you know there are times when it's like somebody may have a really great idea to create some sort of you know contraption that's welded or something and they don't have access to a welder this would give you the opportunity or somebody who you know wants to dabble in the culinary arts and they just want to try something out and they need a professional grade kitchen to do that this is an opportunity to do that as well so i think it's really cool to to put this stuff into a directory for people to access yeah no, um, okay, cool. so the, then there's just two more, and then I know you wanted to share something. But so the the, the first one is called Place Me, and it's an app that you run on your Android or your iOS device, and it will basically just keep a record of everywhere that you go, and it, it doesn't require you to check in. Your location's not broadcast; it's not like a social network. It's basically for quantified self stuff. Um, so it will track your locations, whether you go to the gym or to, or home or to the office or to a restaurant. And then it can actually put that right into Evernote. Uh, you can also use something, you can use IFTTT to put this into your calendar if you want. So this is just a really, really easy way to add a little bit of quantified self element to where you are, how long you are there and, and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. I think that looks really cool. I wonder if it can do it within your house. Probably not. Right. You mean like different rooms? <laughs> yes. <laughs> How much time do you spend really in the like bathroom? <laughs> well, I'd like to see well, how much time I'm in like my office each day. That would be really handy. 
Well, you know, there is a way to do that, actually. You can use a, uh, for instance, you could use the uh, Belkin motion tracker, and you could put one in each room and then have that an IFTTT trigger. So anytime you enter or exit a specific room, you could have it. Oh, really? You have a note that. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So then uh, the last one that I want to mention is that there is a new self-tracking device called uh, the Spire. And it's the first one that I've seen that, basically has a, a large element is based on breath. Um, so, you know, you could be, what, one of the issues I have with fit, like the Fitbit and a lot of fitness trackers, you know, my, my, the one that I think is my, my, my favorite is the basis. But uh, if you're sitting on your couch watching TV, for instance, you're going to be burning a certain amount of calories, not many, but some. Um, but if you're sitting in a sauna in the heat, and your heart rate is racing and you're sweating, you're going to be burning a lot more calories, but you're not actually, in neither case are you actually moving. Mm-hmm. So something like the basis, which actually will look at your heart rate and your, your blood oxygenation level and stuff, is actually really good for that. This does that as well. So what the Spire is doing is basically based on breath control. And what I like about it is it actually has a really good tie-in for stress and how you're, you're basically your vagus nerve, which connects your mind and your heart and your breathing. Um, you can actually see how stress is triggered and actually learn to control it. So since I'm all about stress reduction, I think that this is a really amazing device that is self-tracking, but also actually lets you see an element of uh, your stress and your, your nervous system response that you really wouldn't get to see with another device. So uh, I, I love this. I think it's really great. No, that does look cool. Does that mean that that we when we do our workout each week, would that be able to track how much calories we're burning or not really? Uh, this this could yes it, this could do a pretty good estimate of that because is that again just based on the, the the heart rate and stuff like that. Well, so this is get this is basing it mostly uh, for the most part on breath control, okay. on on breathing. Okay. You know, and and truth be told, like even if you're working out really hard, yeah, you want to be able to have you want to be able to recover very quickly. You know, so like when we're doing the the EMOM workouts, the every minute on the minute, and you have you know you're working for thirty seconds and then you have thirty seconds of rest, you need to be able to learn to recover in that 30 seconds as quickly as possible and and the the best way to do that is through breath control yeah i see so oh and then actually one more thing i wanted to mention before we we get to your point is uh we said we mentioned this last week but the less doing boot camp is in pre-launch right now as i said it's going to be a two thousand dollar product that you can get in for just under a thousand dollars now and the first group is going to start i think on october 6th and it's going to be an eight-week program so uh, there's a link to the show notes in that, and uh, I'd love to get people signing up for that to get feedback, and you will learn how to optimize, automate, and outsource everything in your life. Awesome, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so what you, you had something to share with us today. <clears throat> yeah, well, so I'm a Gmail user like yourself, and, um, and I've been using the uh, – for in, in Gmail, Gmail automatically sorts mail, if you want – into like three or more tabs or maybe, I don't know, but basically primary. And it basically sorts between promotional email, uh, forums, emails, social uh, updates. So like every email, every update from Facebook or LinkedIn or something goes in the social tab. All of your personal email goes in the primary tab. And like promotional emails from from stores go in the promotions up uh, tab. So I've been using that, but... Um, there's an app for the iPhone and for the Mac, I believe, and maybe even for other things called Mailbox. And it connects to Gmail. And what you can do is you can sort, it does away with all of that, all of those tabs, which I have been using. 
and it just um, it allows you to swipe to organize your mail. So, for example, if I want to just just archive the mail, I just swipe to the right, and it archives in it, and it's and it's in the archive. It's in the all mail folder. I don't see it. It's not in my inbox. Um, but if I want to do, if I want to read it later, I can just swipe to the left, and I can choose when. I want it to come back between like later today, this evening, tomorrow, this weekend, and so on. And um, and so far, I'm really liking it. And I have used it before, but I got a little tired of it for some reason. But I thought I wanted to come back. And so far, I'm really liking it. And there's one thing that was really cool, is that I ended up with about 2,000 unread mails, which are all in the promotions and updates and f- social updates. Um, category. But what Mailbox was able to do, which I was extremely impressed with, is that if you click on the, what was it, on the help tab? I can't remember where it was now. Uh, But it came up and it said, um, help me, you click on help me sort my mail. And what it did is it was able to, I was able to say, check everything that's not starred. Now, so I thought, okay, um, or archive everything that's not starred was one of the options. So what I did is I just went onto Gmail, starred all of the emails that I wanted to keep, and in one one go, it was able to archive all all two thousand of those promotional, social, all the emails I don't care about in in one click, and that was awesome and saved me a ton of time going through Gmail like a hundred things at a time and archiving it. So uh, I highly recommend you check it out if you're a Gmail user. Well, and you'd better be a Gmail user at this point listening to this podcast because Gmail is the best. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, right. And uh, I I think that's great. And I think that that works with a lot of the functionality of how I recommend people process their email. The only only issue I have with things like that is that they're platform dependent, you know. And so it's, it's like one of the reasons that I don't use Boomerang is because you have to be in Gmail to use it. So... If you were, for instance, like if you were to log into Gmail on, on my computer, if you were at my house and you logged in, you wouldn't be able to do the mailbox app functionality per se. Mm-hmm. So that, the, which is fine, and that's but, that's my only but, issue. But you have your phone with you, so no, no. But but this is but this is it. Is um, it doesn't the great? This is the great thing about it is that it doesn't stop you from using your mail in any other app in any way. Do you know what I mean? So I right. Can, so, like, so if I you can, were using follow-up.cc, though, it would, you, that would that would integrate. Well, it's not going to affect it at all. Yeah, I mean, right. you can still use follow-up.cc. It's you can still use. Um, you can. I mean, this essentially does follow-up.cc, but without uh, having to type that that message. But if you want to use follow-up.cc, you can still. It's still going to. It's not going to change anything in any way. That's right. What's great. But no. But so. But yeah. if you use mailbox app to say like bring this back tomorrow, for instance. Mm-hmm. How is that going to? How will that look in your, if you're back in Gmail? Oh, it's just going to appear back in your inbox. It's just going to appear back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Yeah. So that's yeah, great. Really I, great. I, yeah. I think that's really good. And you know, as always, I'm always for anything that that gets to the goal of it. So, how many emails do you have in your inbox right now? Though that's the question. Well, I haven't gone through my email this morning, but I have 37. But here's the cool thing: is that oh, that's I fine. can, I can, I can swipe to the left or the right and swipe all 37 of them to come back later today. Look at that. And now I have an empty inbox. 
and they're going to come back. That is very cool. So that is really cool. De-stresses me, and it gives you a nice, it gives you a little photo of like the photo of the day that appears when you get a get a uh, an empty inbox. That's very very cool. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah, so that's really well, cool. Yeah, yeah. So now if I go into my Gmail, it's um, it's all empty. So it's awesome. Well done. Yeah. Well, um, so you'll have to add that to a link in the show notes yeah. for us, Felix. You and bet. Um, thank you for thank you for sharing that. I, I'd love to hear if people have been using Mailbox and what their feedback has been. Yeah. And um, likewise. Until, until next week. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Less Doing Podcast. Absolutely. See you next week. Now speaking with Nick Gray, who is the founder of Museum Hacks. So, Nick, thank you for coming on to talk to me. Thanks. I'm glad to be here. So, right away, you got a great name for your company because museum and hacking or hacks is not necessarily something that people, I think, would associate together. So, what is Museum Hacks? Museum Hack is a company that does museum tours for people who don't like museums. Um, I don't come from a museum background. In fact, I've never taken an art history class. But I had this amazing experience at the Metropolitan Museum of Art here in New York City. And I started to do tours for my friends for fun about three years ago. And uh, quit my job over a year ago. Been doing this full time. Today we have about 12 or 13 part-time employees. And we lead a bunch of tours here in New York City at the best museums. So now, uh, for for people who don't like museum tours, okay. So how how do you how do you first of all decide how you're going to approach that group? You know what what is so unique about a museum hack tour? Our tours, we say that we hack two things: we hack the content and we hack the experience. On the content side, we're going to show you pieces that you might not regularly see on a highlights tour. And our tour guides say things that you would never hear from a regular guide. That could mean that at the Met, right, they'll take you to the Temple of Dendur and they'll tell you that it's an Egyptian temple from 15 BC built to the god um, Isis. And it's an amazing temple. But then they'll tell you the juicy gossip backstory about how Jackie O wrangled it to be in New York City and some amazing details about that. Uh, so that's one, we hack the content, and two, we hack the experience. We do what we call fatigue-fighting exercises during the tour to keep people alive and awake and sort of alert, because otherwise the space of a museum can be very boring and dull. So, And this is based in New York, right? Yes, we're based in New York City. So which museums are you typically doing this at? Uh, the the bulk of our revenue is at the Metropolitan Museum of Art, but we're also at the American Museum of Natural History right across Central Park. And a lot of other museums around the world are contacting us to do docent training programs and volunteer workshops and things like that. Well, so this is what I find so cool about this. Now, first of all, I, I grew up in the art world, and, and people listening actually may not be aware of that, but my, my father and mother have had a... Uh, a fairly important art gallery in in downtown Manhattan for over 40 years now, dealing mostly in uh, photorealism art. But uh, so I've grown up in the art world, and I always had sort of a I, I felt like I always had an appreciation for it. But I too find and found museums very boring. What 
was the sort of kicker for me was, and, and it almost, it feels like what you're describing in some ways too, it's almost like a live podcast, <laughs> like you're, you're viewing, you know, <laughs> because there's so many, like there's uh, the Bowery Boys, which is ama- an amazing, you know, do you know the, the podcast? I'm not familiar with it. Okay. So it's, it's, to me, it's the coolest New York history podcast. And it does that where they talk about these events, but then they kind of talk about the backstory. And I feel like that's, that's what it is. It's like relating to it is what makes it so interesting. Yeah. We love connecting with people on their level. Can I tell you a good example? Please. Um, a lot of times guys, because the audience does tend to skew towards female and guys will get dragged to the museum, to one of our tours on a date maybe with their girlfriend. We do these late night tours at the Met that are really popular and they'll get dragged there. And we lovingly refer to them as finance bros. (laughs) Uh, So they probably work in an investment bank and they do not want to be at the museum. They've had a really tough week and they're just not tuned in at all. They don't want to be there. And our guides will perk up and they'll be alert to this. And this is a common thing that a lot of educators do. They'll meet people where they are. And our guides are not afraid to talk about money and how much art costs. And so they'll say, you know what? Let's start the tour at the most expensive painting that the Metropolitan Museum of Art has ever paid cash money for. And so they'll take them upstairs to this Duccio painted in the year 1300s by this pre-Renaissance artist. And they'll say, why did the Met spend $45 million for this object in 2004? And then people, they kind of perk up, right? Because they nobody talks about money on museum tours. And we'll take them to the most expensive things and stuff like that. Well, I've never even heard of that one, by the way. Duccio? Yeah, Duccio. D-U-C-C-I-O. Huh. And so, and, okay, so I, as I was saying, I grew up in the art world, but I also, uh, my uh, my interest throughout most of school was, was history. So, I, uh, th- I mean, well, that's one I've never heard of, which I think is really cool. But So, <laughs> how, how did you learn this stuff? You know, how do you figure out the context and train people to do this? I first had this experience at the Met uh, when a woman brought me there on a romantic date. And it was our third date. In the middle of, I think it was December, and it was snowy outside, and no one was at the museum because it was snowy, and it was late at night, and it was like very dimly lit, and she just walked me around, Ari, and she gave me this very private tour showing me her favorite pieces, whether it was sculptures, or paintings, or Egyptian artifacts, or furniture, and it was something about her showing me that maybe it was just having a very attractive woman talk to me about things she was excited about. But something for me that night unlocked a sense of curiosity that I never knew that I had about art. And I started to go back to the Met and I would do the audio tours and research on Wikipedia and just buy the books and do anything I could to learn about these objects. All self-taught. Yeah, so that I mean, I, I think that's that's really incredible. And you know, in general, I, I, not everyone picks up on this kind of thing. But I feel like even if you're not interested in the content or the subject matter necessarily, if somebody is really genuinely sharing a passion with someone, that that should come through. And a lot of times, I think that really, really hits home. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that is how we hire our tour guides. Well, that whenever- was my next question, actually. So go ahead. Yeah. Like, that's what people say. How do you hire your tour guides? And whenever we post for hiring tour guides, we have 
at least 100 people. One time we had 380 people apply for one tour guide slot. And which there's actually a tool that I'd like to talk about that I use for Oh, yeah, hiring. we're going to get to that. So I'll come back to that. But we hire our tour guides very simply based on passion and how good a storyteller they are. And we think that the art history is secondary. It's important, but that part of it can be taught. But you can't teach someone how to connect with people. And I tell you the 100% truth, more than 50% of the job of being a tour guide with Museum Hack has to do with making someone feel comfortable and welcome in the space. Uh, Because it's kind of like we're like museum therapists, you know? Most people have had a bad experience at a museum, and we have to get them reaccustomed to have fun in the space. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and so are there any uh, particularly cool questions that you ask in the interviews that you think are, are real eye openers for you, you know, in terms of, I, I'm thinking of this in terms of like an optimal way to get right to the point with somebody. So is there any kind of, I think that we have an interesting way of interviewing people. Um, we, uh, we do live interviews. And so, so we actually do it kind of like a casting call and we bring everybody to the museum, usually in groups of 10 or 12 and they meet us at the museum and we say, you guys, uh, welcome. You're, you're doing a live interview. You have 10 minutes to go find a piece of art that you like in this room, build a story around it. And then we're all going to meet up and you're going to share it out to the group. And right on the spot, we can see how quickly they can tell stories and work crowds and we wean the groups down from there. That's great. So now let, let's talk. Let's talk logistics. Okay. So you're this is a bootstrap company. You've, totally bootstrapped. And you've done some pretty cool stuff in terms of outsourcing and automation stuff. So let's let's hear it. Uh, I guess first, since we're thinking about recruiting, I use a service called the Resumator. Are you familiar with that? Vaguely, I I, I don't do much hiring, so that I, I I've heard of it, but please tell us about it. The Resumator, I think they're based in Pittsburgh. Great company. Um, they are a startup. I use them at my uh, my former employer. I've recommended them to many friends. I believe they have a free plan. Instead of posting a job on Craigslist and telling people to email you here, you send them to the Resumator, which is what's called an applicant tracking system. And it lets all of your resumes funnel to a dashboard where you can easily rate people so you can star them on one to five stars. You can give them statuses and comments if you're sharing with colleagues or just simply for yourself. It's like if you've ever tried to hire for something and you get an email box full of PDF files and Word docs, this has completely changed the way that I recruit and I highly recommend the Resumator. Okay. And so, and now what else though? Like how, how does, I mean, how many employees are there? I mean, I, you said this actually, but so, so how, how is this, we how have, your systems and processes grown with you? Okay. Terms and processes. Um, let's just talk about how we handle our employees and our payroll. For example, when we started, we used a lot of independent contractors and to manage all of those 1099 forms, we use a system called JustWorks. JustWorks is based here in New York City, and they handled all of our independent contractors and our 1099 filings. And then when we were ready to transfer them to part-time employees, which they're all now, uh, that was a pretty seamless process, and they handle all our W-2s and our taxes and all that stuff. So I use JustWorks instead of having to, you know, basically like have a human resource department to deal with all the payroll things. And what, how, how do people pay you? How do you do tickets? How does that work? 
our paying our so our ticketing system is also by a New York City company that is called Zerve, Z-E-R-V-E. Zerve is a really fascinating business. Um, there are many places out there like Eventbrite, which I should talk about later as a powerful tool, um, that are great, but they're not like a full service sort of ticketing company. And the bane of any tour business is uh, one, late arrivals and two, refunds or exchanges. Um, because these things just don't fit into a process and they always have to deal with it. Anyhow, Zerve handles all of our ticketing. We pay them a percentage of our sales. They have a live phone support. You could probably call right now and they'll answer the phone. How can I help you book a museum hack activity? And they'll do that. Wow. That's interesting. I've never actually heard of a company like that, of, of, of that company rather. Yeah. Uh, and then as far as you've told me that you've done some outsourcing with Odesk and stuff like that, like what are you mainly using outsourced I, individuals for? Yeah, I'm, I'm big on the outsourcing. I have a full-time gentleman who is based in Manila, Philippines, who works with us. He's been working with us for about six or seven months now. And he handles a lot of our pre- and post-tour communications with the customers, so sends them reminder messages. He helps us coordinate all of our bookings across the various third-party vendors that we sell our tickets. Uh, he posts photos from our tours to our Facebook account. He posts them to our news blog and our Tumblr and some other channels. And, and, do, you have, and do you have those processes written out? Or I mean, like, how is that? How have you? I got to tell you, I have them very thoroughly documented and I do screenshots on my documentation. Um, I will say that I love to write documents for these um, for my SOPs. virtual assistants. Yeah. Uh, sorry, what does that mean? And standard operating procedures. Yeah, standard operating procedures. I love to write those, and our team is really good at using those. So, and and this is something that I mean, I've talked about this uh, at nauseum on the the podcast and in the blog and everything. But basically, if you create these processes, then it makes it so that you can scale. It makes it so that if somebody's sick, somebody else can step in and uh, you know follow a process that's very clearly figured out so that that's great and that's something that you don't see a lot actually and and it's one of the reasons why a lot of companies don't do the bootstrap thing very well yo think about my business this is the messiest business in the world it is high touch low tech it is live tour guides at a museum right it, it like it's a nightmare it's a logistical nightmare you have late arrivals i'll give you an example we had a tour today uh one senior citizen in a wheelchair three little kids and two foreigners who didn't speak english like the booking process to manage them and to deal with late arrivals and reminders is something that demands like a standard operating procedure and our tour guides i have to give credit to our tour guides because they deal with all of these situations on a daily basis it's funny. I actually, when I was, when I used to teach my less doing class live in the city, I was doing it through Skillshare. And there was one time when these three people showed up who didn't speak a word of English. They just had heard about it and thought it was like a cool thing to do. Right. And I was like, I it's like the, it was two hours of English right now. So I don't right. know what, what to tell you. I'm sorry. Uh, right. But they, they enjoyed it. I don't, I don't know what they got out of it or if they even knew what I was talking about. But, um, that is, that is something obviously you have to deal with. 
I loved that Skillshare class. That's where I first found out about you, by the way. Right. That's right. That's absolutely right. So, um, okay. And then what about you personally? Like, what does your kind of productivity look like? How do you, I mean, I, you know, I've had a, just a couple conversations with you, but you seem very calm and cool and collected. So that's, that's a good thing. Uh, because a lot of times when you're dealing with people who are talking about how they're bootstrapping, they're like really high strung and, you know, trying to fit. It's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all bootstrap, you know, but we got this figured out and they're, they're running on caffeine. So, uh, you obviously have to be very personal because you're dealing with the, the, the tours and everything. So, what is what do your days look like what you know how many tours you're doing how do you when do you work best how do you you know what do you what's that like um i do not want to misrepresent myself i am addicted <laughs> to bulletproof coffee uh-huh and i have been for about the last 9 months or so i start every morning with a little bit of bulletproof coffee made in my aeropress and I add butter and coconut oil and one or two raw eggs. And that is, that's how I start my morning. Um, You're doing eggs in the coffee too? Yes. Is that good or bad? Should I not do that? No, no, that's totally fine. That's actually a little bit more of the, uh, the Mark Sisson daily apple kind of uh, the egg coffee. That's that, I mean, it's the same purpose. You know, the Bulletproof coffee is about getting fat and caffeine basically into your brain as quickly as possible. So yeah. you definitely, that, that's pretty cool. I've never done it with two raw eggs. That's cool. Yeah, it's great. It's great. I would, yeah, my body craves it. Um, today was an interesting day. I was at the museum for the majority of the day. Um, it's a Sunday, by the way. Pro tip if you ever want to go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, you can go on a Sunday, but do not go after 1 p.m. It's the worst place in New York City. Uh, it is so crowded and it is just, okay, it's not the worst place in New York City, but I'm willing to bet it's the most crowded time that the Met gets is Sunday afternoon after 1 p.m. Uh, but today I was at the museum for the whole day. We were uh, doing final exams for two new tour guides and we were beta testing a new scavenger hunt. And then I had a staff meeting afterwards. The time that I'm most productive is in the mornings, and I find that as soon as I wake up, that's when I can really get work done. But after about one or two, I like to schedule my meetings and things like that. And what I mean, what are those meetings really? I mean, like, what are you growing? I mean, what's what's next for the company? How are you growing? What are you working on? The big thing that I'm excited about is I want to help other museums change the way that they do their adult museum tours. You know, a lot of museums do children's programming very, very well, and they don't need a lot of help with that. But we, what we have said as Museum Hack is we are going after those people who don't like museums, who, who would never think about going to a museum on a Friday or a Saturday or a Sunday who maybe only go once or twice a year just out of obligation or for a special exhibit. Right. So I'm interested in that. We're talking to some fairly high-profile museums around the world that have reached out to us, but those have very long lead times. And uh, I've spent the last one year removing myself from the tours, right? Because for the last three years, I've been the one leading all the tours. And I quit my job a little over a year ago, and I've now built a network of amazing, incredible tour guides. And now they lead all the tours. Um, and we have a great system set up here in New York City that continues to grow and evolve. And now I just want to help some other museums. I, I mean, it, do you feel, I mean, do you ever get bored of it? Do you, or do you feel like you're always enriching yourself with more information and new stuff? I really geek out about the business stuff. So I've gotten 
like this is going to sound like sort of nerdy, but like we have been experimenting with our Twitter advertising over the last couple of weeks and like what you can do with like the Twitter cards. I'm pretty bullish on Twitter right now because there's certain market segments that nobody is going after on Twitter and we've had really good results with those. Well, actually more like museum professionals. I think museum tours never convert for us because the price of the sale is so low that the, that, that the cost of conversion really like is a wash. Um, but we've had success, for example, for our business, a significant portion of our revenue comes from corporate team building. So companies like Google and PayPal and Adobe send their employees to us to go do an awesome adventure at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And we've had a lot of luck with that. Okay, so that's another aspect. Actually, I had a note to ask you about that as well. The, I mean, is it anything more than just that group coming together to do a tour, or do you build in some real, you know, team building stuff? Or I mean, how, is it different when you're working with a team like that from a company? Good question. I think what you're asking is, do we just mark the price up when Google comes? <laughs> um, and the answer to that is no. Some groups do come to us and they say, look, we just want a regular tour. We don't want any of this team building. And we say, fine, we can give that to you. Other groups, I'll give you an example. I, I think I can, so I'm not going to say the name of the company, but they, but they came to us and they said, we have 12 people that are going to come to you. Six of them are sales execs on the West Coast. Six are here in New York City. We want them to do a storytelling exercise. So they brought us 12 people. We brought in three Broadway sort of actor storytellers and three musicians. And we paired them up and we taught them how to be tour guides. And so after they'd done the tour with us, we brought these this cast in and they worked with them to find their favorite piece, develop a story. And then they told that story to their coworkers. And it was the cool, like we took over the musical instruments wing. We had so much fun in there. Everybody was laughing. It was great. <laughs> yeah, it's just, sorry, just laughing at you saying we took over the musical instruments wing. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds like you're being more badass than it is. What? No, it is totally badass. Totally this is the badass. most badass museum tours. I mean, sure, all the instruments are behind glass cases, but still. No, I think it sounds awesome. And I, actually, it's funny. I was at the... Museum of Natural History today with my my wife and my three very young children for the first time in years, and it felt good to be in a museum. I, I live out in the in Long Island now, so we don't really have museums like that. And I'll be moving back to New York in the spring, but uh, it was it was it was a nice reminder. So it, it, it I think it's if there's any way that you can make people relate to this information and appreciate it, understand it, I think that's just a wonderful thing. So the the last question that I always like to ask on the podcast is, what are your top three personal tips for being more effective and you can't use bulletproof coffee now because you already gave that one so what are, <laughs> what are your top three things that just make you more effective every day uh number one that i will say and i talked to my dad about this before the podcast i got some advice from him um and he reminded me he said number one advice just do it uh, don't wait for somebody else's approval. I started doing these museum tours without the Met's approval, um, without trying to take art history classes. I just started doing them for free for my friends because I loved it. And so my first thing to be more effective or to start your own business or whatever is one, number one, just to start doing it. Uh, to be more effective, I think, um, 
I'm a big fan of fancy hands and everybody says that, but I've realized it's not for everybody, especially if you don't know how to delegate. And so the next thing that I'll say is if fancy hands doesn't work for you and you're not ready to try it yet, uh, commit yourself to spending $25 tonight and get on Fiverr and purchase five projects. Burn that $25 and just see what it's like to delegate to somebody else. Uh, spend it all tonight and you'll see the results and you'll get better. Delegation is a skill that doesn't get better unless you practice it. Um, and then the third, which is a quick test, uh, it's a very little thing, but a service called User Testing recently launched a service called Peek, P-E-E-K. And if you have a website, Peek is a quick, free, five-minute user clicking through your website. There's no charge for it. I don't have any affiliation with them. But I threw a couple of my websites at it and got some really fascinating feedback just watching somebody click through my company's website and my own website. It was really neat and it's free and it's fast. Oh, okay. I, that's, I mean, I've heard of other user testing ones, but that's, it, this one's for free. You're sharing some knowledge Nick, that I have never heard of. I like it. Awesome. Thank you. Wow, major compliment. So I'm actually going to have to push back on you now because I want one more. <laughs> So that's um, something that makes you more effective. Just something that you think is awesome that you use because you honestly you've listed like six things that I've never heard of. So my mother told me this one. She said, Whenever you make a doctor's appointment, everybody tries to get the first slot in the morning, but she gets the first slot after lunch, because then you're never late. <laughs> I like that. I like that very much. Um, okay, well, so Nick, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I, I implore everybody to get on a museum hack tour because they are awesome and you're going to learn something no matter who you are. And uh, we're going to put links to everything in the show notes. And uh, Nick, thank you. Awesome. Thank you very much. Less doing rocks. Thank you, guys. Hey, everyone. It's Felix here. Thanks for taking the time to listen in and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. We always like to hear your feedback. Please make sure to check out the blog at lessdoing.com where you can find out about Ari's elite group coaching mastermind group as well as the Less Doing University which has over 100 hours of video content and a question and answer forum too. Also, if you love the show, please take a moment to leave us a positive review on iTunes. Thanks a lot and we'll see you next week.